This morning, we turn to John's Gospel, chapter 17, as we continue and hopefully conclude this series, mini-series, in the High Priestly Prayer of our Lord Jesus. John, chapter 17, verses 17 through 26. John 17, verses 17 through 26. And there, our Lord Jesus prayed for his disciples, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So in looking at this prayer, we have discovered so far, in terms of what our Lord Jesus prayed for his disciples, he prayed for them, number one, he prayed for their security. He prayed that the Father would keep them in his name from the evil one. And we saw last Sunday afternoon how that he prayed for their unity. Several times throughout the passage, he prays that they may be one, even as he and the Father are one. He not only prays for their security and for their unity, but he prays for their serenity. Because in verse 13, he prayed that they might have his joy fulfilled in themselves. He wanted for them to be composed amidst the turbulence, amidst the tribulation that they would encounter in the world. And we come this morning to consider, fourthly, that he prays for their sanctity. Our Lord Jesus prays for the sanctity of his disciples, verses 17 through 19. And he says there, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. The question is, what is sanctification? What does it mean to be sanctified? And in scripture, sanctification has at least four meanings. It means, number one, separation. It means, two, dedication. It means, three, consecration. And fourthly, it means purification. Separation, dedication, Consecration and purification are, are all inherent in the word sanctify or sanctification. 
First of all, the basic idea behind the word sanctify and its cognate sanctification is that of setting apart someone or something for God's use, for God's service. In this regard, that person or thing is dedicated to God, is, we would say, wholly and entirely reserved for God. And being dedicated to God, that person or object is regarded as being holy unto the Lord. Holy as distinct from being commonplace. So in the Old Testament, for example, priests, as well as the furnishings, the utensils of the tabernacle, were sanctified or set apart, dedicated and consecrated to the service of the Lord. And with the idea of being set apart unto God, sanctification, we need to know, may or may not involve purification or cleansing. Why do we say that? Because down in verse 19, Jesus, we notice there, states that he sanctifies himself, and we know that he had no need of purifying, he need have no need of purification, no need for cleansing, because he was the perfect spotless son of God who knew no sin. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21. He committed no sin, neither was sin found in his mouth, the Apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 and verse 22. And so as far as our Lord Jesus was concerned, that he sanctifies himself, has to mean this. It means, it speaks of, is absolute, unreserved giving of himself. It speaks of his separating and devoting himself to doing the will of his Father. That is the sense in which our Lord Jesus sanctified himself. It speaks of his absolute, unreserved giving of himself, of his separating and devoting himself to doing the will of his Father. And doing the will of his Father involved, among other things, his entering the world of lost humanity and making atonement for sin by dying on the cross. That is why in John chapter 10 and verse 36, Jesus speaks of his having been consecrated. And by the way, that word consecrated, same Greek root word for sanctify. He speaks there in John chapter 10 verse 36 of his having been, having sanctified himself, having been consecrated rather by the Father and sent him into the world. In John chapter 6 and verse 38, he speaks of his having come down from heaven, not to do his own will, but the will of the Father who sent him. A perfect picture of what it means to be sanctified. Notice in these references, Jesus is set forth as being totally, unreservedly devoted to the service of his Father. Now when it comes to you and me as believers... In Christ. Sanctification relates not only to our separation from the world, but it also relates to our being cleansed from sin and our growing in holiness, our growing in Christ likeness. And this takes place through the continual work of the Spirit of God in our hearts and lives, the result of which, among other things, is our continual 
purification from the defiling effects of sin. We see that in 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 1. Our nonconformity to the world, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Our crucifying the flesh with its affections and lusts, Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Our submitting to God and our resisting the devil, James chapter 4, verse 17. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. All through the strengthening power and grace of God. So with this understanding as to what sanctification is all about, we can therefore appreciate the statement of our Lord Jesus in verses 17 through 19, in which he first of all, notice, he first of all hints at the need for his disciples' sanctification. The need for his disciples' sanctification. Why was there the need for his disciples to be sanctified? And before we look at the specific reasons as to why his disciples, according to our text, were in need of sanctification, why they needed to be sanctified, let's consider why, generally speaking, all of God's people need to be sanctified. Why must we as Christians, why is it crucial, why is it necessary that you and I as Christians be sanctified? First of all, the fundamental reason why you and I, beloved, are in need of sanctification, the reason we need to be sanctified is stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. There we read, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. The word of God is clear and direct in asserting that God wants his people to be sanctified. He wants his people to lead separated lives unto him, consecrated lives, dedicated lives, lives that have been purified from the defiling effects of sin. That's his demand for his people, his expectation of them, and as an absolute requirement, so crucial is this matter of our sanctification, your sanctification, and my sanctification, that the word of God sternly puts it in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, that we are to strive for sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Indeed, as suggested in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 1, our sanctification or progress in godliness, progress in holiness, is the means by which we lead lives that are pleasing to God. Notice there, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 to 3, Paul speaks of pleasing God, living so as to please God in the same breath as he utters these words, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Second, our sanctification is a necessity because the end for which God saved you and me, the end purpose for which God saved you and me is this. It is that we should be holy and blameless before him, Ephesians 1 and verse 4. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 through 27, we read these words, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 tells us that in saving us, God created us in Christ Jesus for good works. 
In Titus 2 verse 14, we are told that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Those are the various ways in which the word of God speaks concerning the necessity of our sanctification, of our holiness. And then thirdly, that our sanctification is an absolute necessity is evidenced by the fact that God has equipped the church with gifted personnel. He talks about pastors, teachers, evangelists. He says for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. He says until we all come to the full measure of the stature of Christ. In other words, God has instituted the church. He has placed within the church gifted personnel for the express purpose that the people of God might Come to maturity in Christ. That essentially is what sanctification is all about. And my friends, with regard to Jesus' disciples, which includes you and me, the vital necessity of their sanctification is particularly underscored here in our text, verse 18, John 17, by their presence and mission in the world. So note in verse 18 how that in tandem with his prayer for their sanctification, Christ prays to his Father. Here's what he says. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. You ask the question, why did he pray then that the Father would sanctify his disciples? Precisely because he was sending them out into the world Thus, into the realm of the wicked one, the evil one, Satan, into a world that hates God and that is hostile toward his people, he was sending them into a world of vicious traps. He was sending them into a world of alluring temptations. It was into such a world that our Lord Jesus was sending these apostles. And how would they be able to survive? How would they be able to weather and surmount the difficulties, the trials associated with serving him or fulfilling the ministry to which they were appointed? How would they be spiritually focused? How would they remain pure in a polluted world apart from the sanctifying grace of God? So regarding his prayer... To his father, that his father would sanctify his disciples, our Lord Jesus was in effect praying, petitioning his father, Father, dedicate them, consecrate them to your service, to my service. Let them be totally separated unto the, the ministry to which I have appointed them so that they might be effectively equipped to serve in the world, is, was what he was saying. He was praying, Father, keep them pure, keep them clean from the defilements of the world into which I'm sending them. Keep them from compromising with the world. Keep them from conforming to the world. Keep them from sin. Keep them close to us as they carry out and move about with their ministry in the world. So not only did our Lord Jesus pray, watch this, not did our Lord Jesus pray for their protection from the evil one, as we saw last week, but in praying for the sanctification of his people, our Lord Jesus was praying for their purity, their preservation from evil itself. He was praying for their purity from the evil, from the defiling power of sin with which they would have to contend 
in a polluted, ungodly world. Again, how important, as we said last week, how important, it bears repeating again because it surfaces and is suggested in the text once again, how important we know this, that our Lord Jesus clearly did not intend for you and me as his people to go in seclusion and isolation from the world. Rather, we see through his prayers for his disciples, we see that he intends for them. He intends for them to be kept pure, to be kept clean, even as they administer amidst the moral and spiritual pollution of the world in which they would live and carry out their ministry. Indeed, Titus 2 verses 2 and 11, Titus 2 verses 11 and 12 reminds us for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and unrighteousness, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. You see, so many Christians today imagine that the only way they can live holy, the only way they can live godly, is unless they have a change of environment. They say, you know, I need to get out of this neighborhood. I need a new job because the people are so ungodly. The only way I can live for God, they say, is to just get out, is to have a change of job for the people will lead me astray. They're ungodly. Based on Jesus' prayer that this is clearly, we see, based on the prayer of our Lord Jesus, this is clearly not God's will for his people. It is not his will that we go into isolation to begin with. Here's the point we need to understand. God knows. He knows precisely how to keep his people even in the midst of pollution, the rottenness and corruption of an ungodly world. Remember how he preserved the purity of Joseph in an ungodly environment in the land of Egypt. Remember how he preserved his purity while working for Potiphar. Recall the temptation he faced from Potiphar's wife. He stood his ground. He remained pure for God. Why? Because God was with him. Read the narrative in Genesis 39. Constantly, the narrator is saying, and God was with him even when he was sent to prison wrongfully. And God was with him. God kept him. Remember how he preserved the integrity of Daniel and his companions when they were pressured to conform to the ways of Babylon. People today say, listen, the workplace, they are pressuring me to do all kinds of things. Let me say this, we do not have to do it. We can remain faithful to God. We can preserve our purity. We can preserve our integrity. Daniel refused to compromise, to give in to the ways of Babylon. He made up his mind, the word of God tells us, Daniel chapter 1 verse 8, that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And noting the tremendous distress of Lot as he lived among the wicked people of that ungodly city of Sodom, Peter concludes in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. Peter says that righteous man, Lot, in beholding the ungodliness of the people around him, it vexed his righteous soul day after day. And of course we know it was only the mercy and grace of God that literally had to snatch him from the burning. 
But the point is that whatever it takes, God will see to our preservation. He will see to our protection from evil. He will see to it that we maintain our purity, our integrity, even in an ungodly environment. The Apostle Paul took for granted that Christians would be thrown together with all kinds of sinful people in the world. For in clarifying what he meant when he forbade the Corinthian Christians from associating with certain people, the sexually immoral, here's what Paul says. He says in 1 Corinthians 5.10, I did not at all mean the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters, since then, you would need to go out of the world. He says, that, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm really talking about, he says, don't keep company with any who is a professing believer who is fornicating, who is committing adultery. Listen, he's saying, as long as we are in the world, we're going to be rubbing shoulders with ungodly people. And so, against the backdrop of Jesus' prayer for his disciples, when he prayed, he says, Father, I'm sending them out into the world. He says, in the same breath, sanctify them by your truth. By that prayer, Lord Jesus, we learn there that it's the sanctified, separated life that God intends for his people is not isolation from the world. Rather, the sanctified, separated life to which God calls you and me as Christians involves our interacting with the world without becoming intimate with the world. That's what God calls us to. It involves our engaging the world with the gospel while not becoming enmeshed with the ways and the values of the world. Which means that as we live here in this world, as we await the coming of our Lord Jesus, our leading, sanctified, separated lives to God obliges us to establish contact with the world without becoming contaminated by the world. In short, though we are in the world, we are not to be of the world, is what our Lord Jesus is suggesting while we are in the world, by the grace of God, we are to see to it that the world is not in us, that the world does not get inside of us. Again, this was what the Apostle James was referring to when he wrote in James chapter 1, verse 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God is this. It is to visit the fatherless and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Contact without contamination. Having prayed regarding the need for his disciples' sanctification, notice Jesus cites, secondly, the means of the disciples' sanctification. First of all, the need for their sanctification. Now he speaks of the means of their sanctification. How are they going to be sanctified? By what means will they, and by extension, will you and I be sanctified as we live, as we traverse this ungodly world? First of all, the means by which his disciples were to be sanctified and the means by which you and I today are going to be sanctified is by what he refers to as the truth. Notice verse 17, sanctify them in the truth and he characterizes the truth as your word. Jesus prays there in verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. At the end of verse 19, he then prays that his disciples may be sanctified. Watch this again, that they might be sanctified in truth. What is he doing here? He's speaking of the word of God. He's speaking of the word of God as a vital and necessary means of our sanctification. The point is this. 
It is the scriptures, the word of God, beloved, by which God sanctifies, by which God purifies his people, by which he sets them apart from the world, which means that the Christian can never truly be consecrated to God, can never truly be separated to God, sanctified, and serve the Lord effectively where there is not faithful and frequent attention to divine truth. Let's look at this from a practical level. This is basic and practical. The word of God is that which sanctifies us. Listen, even the very time that we spend reading the word of God, what is that doing? It's keeping us from sinful activities. Just the fact that we are giving time. And what is happening, we know, whatever we take into our minds and hearts of a way of working itself out into our lives. Here's the point. To the extent that our minds are filled continually with the word of God, we undergo transformation in our thinking, in our values, in our affections, in our outlook on life. And we could say this, that most vulnerable to the ploys of the devil and the pollution of the world are Christians who rarely read, study, and submit to the truths of God as found in the word of God's scripture. I want to ask you this morning, how much time have you given this week, this past week, to taking in the truth of God's word? Somebody says, well, I don't have time. I don't have time like you, Pastor, who can sit all day, read the Bible, and that's true, yes, that's what I do. I'm going to make a bold statement. There is no excuse, and I'm going to qualify, there's absolutely no excuse why every single person, every single believer cannot be in the Word of God every day. Today, you see, we have technology. We have a proliferation of means of taking in the Word of God. We can have it on a little stick, a little flash drive, push that in our little CD, in our cars, and let's say you, you're driving to work and it's going to take, what, half an hour, 20 minutes? How much of the Word of God we can be listening to at that time? Here's the point. The critical thing is not our literally having a book and reading before us. Here's the critical thing. The critical thing is that we are taking in the Word of God by whatever means we can, even with regard to what? Just hearing it. Indeed, Scripture tells us faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. We can and should be in the Word of God daily. It is the Word of God that sanctifies our lives. It is the Word of God that cleanses our lives, that purifies our lives. The psalmist asks the question, he says, wherewithal, how shall a young man cleanse his ways? And he answers this by saying, by taking heed according to your word, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Commenting on the interrelation between the word of God and the believer's sanctification, David Dockery speaks of the process of sanctification as follows. Here's what he says, quote, It is the bringing to bear upon our lives the moral absolutes of the living God in such a way that they affect how we live and think. Sanctification and revelation, that is the word of God, are inextricably intertwined, for without God's revelatory word to our life, the process of sanctification cannot begin, end quote. According to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it is by the word of God that believers are sanctified and cleansed. 
According to Colossians 1, 9 through 11, it is only as we are possessed with the knowledge of God's will, which of course we derive from his word, the scriptures, that we'll be able to, in the words of the Apostle Paul, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. That's what the word of God does to your life and mine, beloved. From Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, here's what the word of God teaches in terms of its value for our sanctification. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, we learn that the word of God is related to our spiritual maturity, specifically to the training of our minds. He says, training of our discernment to distinguish good from evil. We are living in an age in which the lines of distinction between truth and error, right and wrong, are being blurred. In fact, are being obliterated. You know what's a tragedy? What's a tragedy? Professing Christians, God's people, are falling in line with the ways and thinking of an ungodly world. They're using the language of the culture. They are conforming to the world in their ways of thinking. And here's the point. We need today, my friends, to imbibe the word of God, to let it inform our values, to let it dictate the course of our thinking, the course of our lives. That is the way you and I are going to be sanctified in our lives, separated unto God for God's purpose. So first of all, the means by which Jesus' disciples are to be sanctified, he says, is by the truth. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is true. Notice, secondly, the second means by which his disciples are to be sanctified is this. It is by his own model and example of what it means to be sanctified to the Lord. Look at verse 19. He says this, and for their sake I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. Remember now that for our Lord Jesus, sanctification is not purification. For our Lord Jesus, sanctification is dedication. It is total, absolute, unreserved separation to God. Our Lord Jesus is saying, listen, I, Father, I have totally separated myself to you. I have totally been dedicated to you. They have watched my life. They have seen my life. I've left them. I'm leaving them with a model of what it means to serve you, to be consecrated to you, to be sold out for you. And here's the truth. We are sanctified then by the written word, but also we are sanctified by the living word. That's the point. We are sanctified by the word of God and we are sanctified by the ways of Christ. His own dedication, his own consecration to God provides the means by which we are sanctified. Sanctify them in, in the truth, your word is truth. How we need the sanctifying grace of God. If ever we are to live for the Lord in this world it's not going to take just sheer willpower. It's not going to take just good intentions. We're going to have to avail ourselves of the means that God has provided for us. God has provided for us his word by which we are cleansed, his word by which we are fed, his word by which we are preserved from evil, from sin, from ungodliness. And how we need that if we are to effectively serve him in this world. 